Hey guys, welcome or welcome back to the Uncomfortable is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond, and this is a show where we explore the science, the stories, and the strategies of getting out of our comfort zones so we can find where the magic happens for us. We just ticked over 100 episodes. Today is episode 101. Um, The first 100 have been epic, and I'm pretty excited for the next few guests that we've got uh, lined up for you. There are some very cool conversations uh, coming up over the next couple of weeks. But today, I am having a chat with Dave Hanley. Dave is the CEO of Tomorrow, which helps families make long-term financial and legal decisions together for the first time. Uh, It's an easy-to-use app designed to protect their futures. He's an accomplished CEO digital entrepreneur and social advocate. Prior to founding Tomorrow, Dave founded Banyan Branch, a leading social media marketing agency which was acquired by Deloitte Digital. Prior to that, Dave was VP of Marketing at Shalfari, the social network for book readers, uh, which he helped grow to more than 2 million members in 18 months before it was acquired by Amazon. He also served as Director of Product Management at Real Networks, where he oversaw the launches of Rhapsody.com and Rhapsody's web services program. And earlier in his career, Dave worked in economic development with NGOs and banks in Asia and Latin America that were implementing and assessing microcredit programs, uh, including time as a Fulbright scholar. Dave was selected to the prestigious World Economic Forum Young Global Leader Program, uh, where he is an active participant and advisor. So with that background, you can imagine that Dave has had some pretty big challenges that have happened in his life, and um, he's been exposed to some reasonably uncomfortable situations and had to really step up. So it's really cool to have a bit of a chat to Dave about about the stuff that I just mentioned there in his bio, but also about how he went and took on those challenges and about what he's learned from that as well. So some of the topics that we talk about today, uh, becoming comfortable with what you have to offer, making complicated decisions, how he lock, unlocks his own creativity and how he tries to unlock creativity in others, the power of words, embracing doubt, the importance of deep learning, why it's important to talk through crazy concepts, using forcing functions to help improve his skills and how he operates as a, as a person and as a professional, um, and how to get the most out of constructive feedback. So for the, the new guys here make sure that you hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you get uh, all of these really interesting conversations that are coming up in the next weeks delivered straight to your app when they come out. Um, If you've been here for a while, you're loving what you hear, I'd really appreciate it if you left a review on your favorite podcast app. Um, It helps get get the word out a little bit more about the, the podcast and about the concepts and helps get more awesome guests like Dave on board. Um, one other thing that I wanted to offer you guys as well is over a hundred podcasts, I've got a lot of great advice. So I've put together just five simple strategies that the experts use to help them get out of their comfort zones. So if you guys head over to getoutofmycomfortzone.com, you can download those five strategies for free. So head over getoutofmycomfortzone.com uh, and Feel free to download those uh, those five strategies. I just wanted to, to give something back to you guys. But that's probably enough preamble. Thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with Dave and I today. Dave Hanley, welcome to the Uncomfortable is OK podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Great to be with you. 
Excellent. And Dave, you are uh, you're currently actually sitting in yesterday. It's Saturday morning over here in New Zealand, and uh, Friday afternoon, early afternoon, I think on the on the states. Can you give me and the listeners a little bit of background about yourself? Uh, where you, where you from? Where you grew up? Um, where you are now? I, I'd love to. So first of all, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, for me, I have uh, kind of this mixed uh, hodgepodge of a background. First, sort of growing up in the suburban bliss of uh, Orange County, California, uh, which is a, a life uh, with, with no hardship that doesn't really prepare you for much of anything. Um, but as I grew and went through my university days, I became uh, very passionate uh uh, about a particular subject of uh, microcredit banking. These are banks that uh, lend uh, to the poor for entrepreneurial loans. And so I found myself living in places as, uh, you know, far flung from my childhood life as, as Bangladesh and Belize, uh, Central India and, uh, and uh, Honduras and other places. Uh, and uh, in that work uh, sort of shaped myself into a, uh, uh, someone was very, who was very passionate about, um, you know, about access to financial services for everyone. Um, after, uh, after becoming a father, though, I decided, you know, I needed to be stateside and uh, ended up uh, switching my hobby, which was I was a musician and I love the Internet and ended up working on the Rhapsody Music Service very early on and helped grow that and uh, left with some friends there to create Shelfari, which was a social network for readers, which we sold to Amazon. Uh, ended up accidentally creating what became the largest social media agency in the U.S. and sold that to Deloitte. And then have uh, left Deloitte um, somewhat recently to uh, start on my next venture, which is called Tomorrow. And I'm talking to you now from the Tomorrow offices. Awesome. That is a uh, that's a, a very nice, concise summary. Thank you for that. Um, and the tomorrow offices are in Seattle. You were saying it is, yeah. So uh, for any of you who have a chance to come up to our lovely city, it feels like a, a city with a lot going on. The home of, uh, of course, Starbucks and Amazon and Microsoft and Boeing, but uh, lots of great startup activity going on too. Mm, yeah, I've I've never actually made it to Seattle. It's somewhere that I want to go, and I've heard actually it's it's probably not super different from uh, the city that I live in, Wellington, which is. Uh, it's actually probably quite similar, uh, maybe just a little bit bigger at this point. But it has uh, the green, it has the rain, uh, and uh, according to my neighbor who I play rugby with, it has a lot of the same feel. Yeah, very cool. Quite windy as well. Uh, sometimes we're actually quite protected by a by a big peninsula that okay. uh, protects us from the Pacific. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a uh, it's a great spot. That might be that might be the major difference. Excellent. I will have to get there and uh, and come and say hi someday, Dave. There are a couple of things Absolutely. actually that I'll, I'll uh, give you a good couch to sleep on. Oh, thanks, mate. Thanks. Um, there are a couple of things, kind of just from your from your background there, that I wanted to um, I wanted to have a little bit of a chat with you about. Um, the, the first is the the microcredit banking, and kind of why that initially fascinated you, um, because kind of going from um, Orange County, California, and then kind of heading off to Bangladesh, Belize, Honduras, India, kind of all of these these places that were probably reasonably outside your comfort zone at that time, there must have been something that kind of really compelled you towards the, the microcredit banking and the um in taking you that far outside your comfort zone. Yeah, well I you know what happened is is I, I began college uh and then I, I took two years off to do uh, volunteer work for my church, which put, actually placed me in um, in uh, Newark, which is a sort of a large, uh, rather depressed uh, in, uh, post-industrial city outside New York City. And uh, in that time, it came face to face with American poverty, uh, and uh, and found it quite uh, quite shocking uh, that I lived in a country that had as much, um, not, not only poverty, but intergenerational poverty. 
and then I had also spent some time uh, living in, in Jerusalem when I was going to school uh, and uh, was very familiar with you know, the, the challenges of, uh, of Palestinian refugees. Uh, and so I had a lot of this top of mind as I returned to school and was figuring out what I wanted to do with my life um, until I, through a sort of a jumbled fashion, came across the writings of Muhammad Yunus, who founded Grameen Bank in Bangladesh and uh, later won a Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, and uh, I kept reading until like four in the morning uh, about his work and his, uh, and his ideals. And so I contacted a U.S. office that had just opened the week prior uh, I dropped my classes, quit my job, moved to D.C., slept in someone's hallway, and was there about the second week of Grameen Foundation uh, in the United States. Uh, and sort of it grew from there. So it was the resonance, I think, of, um, uh, of the fact that there were things that I had access to, such as, uh, such as debt uh, and savings uh, that... Uh, that uh, many of the poor in the world just did not have, uh, and that it was a you know a shortcoming in the system that was solvable, uh, and then uh, this you know dedication to you know cre- you know taking you know at least a portion of my life and uh, using it to see if we can't rectify this. Mm, that is that is very cool, and I mean Dave, you you must have been faced with some pretty challenging situations during that time that probably uh, you learned a reasonable amount about yourself and were there some kind of big takeaways for you or big skills, uh, uh, sorry, big skills that you learned during that time that you've uh, kind of have continued to um, shape you as a person? Well, I I think one thing was because I was passionate and young and uh, reasonably articulate, uh, I found myself, at the center of a lot of stages that I probably didn't belong on, uh, that uh, I began to appear to be an expert uh, as I co-founded the first academic journal on microcredit banking, created the largest conference, uh, or, you know, together with a, a group of colleagues and college friends, uh, and uh, was a Fulbright scholar at Grameen, uh, that uh, I, start, I found myself in advisory roles with, say, the Minister of Finance for the Tibetan government in exile or uh, in all of these places where, I, you know, I was a 22-year-old child uh, uh, given uh, quite a lot of, um, uh, of import to my words. And I, I think that the, the two things, one, I had to be comfortable with myself that I actually did have something to offer even though I was young but also be respectful of the fact that uh, my words carried a lot of weight and that I actually needed to be careful with what I recommended because I, in some ways, uh, was firing with live ammunition and that people were going to take my words and go back and do something about it um, because uh, I you know, either was or appeared to be quite credible. So I think I, in some ways, became very comfortable with my role, but actually rolled back into my discomfort, I think in a healthy way so that I would keep my, uh, just make sure that I, I kept myself, uh, in check and that I was making sure that I wasn't going to lead anyone astray. Mm, I think that there's some, some great takeaways. And I think that there are important ones for, for everybody to learn in in that kind of developing some confidence in your ability and, and, uh, that you have, do have something to offer but actually realizing that you don't have everything to offer and you can't solve everybody's everybody's problems um, so that you actually yeah you temper temper that a little bit with um, yeah with kind of staying staying humble but also being open to uh, other options and other ways of doing things as well uh, I think absolutely you're right I think it's a it's a careful line. The goal isn't to be comfortable in what you're doing. The goal is to, uh, to make sure that you're, you know, for me at least, I need to look inside myself and make sure that I'm being true to what I believe in and that I still believe and want to advocate for ideals that I've developed or programs that I've conceived. Mm, mm, yeah, very, very cool. 
Dave, um, can we can we jump forward a little bit actually, and and have a have a talk about um, about tomorrow, because it's a it's a relatively new startup. How did uh, how did the idea for that come into existence, and how did the the ball start rolling with it? Well, uh, you know, I was uh, very comfortable in my role as a partner at Deloitte uh, after selling them my social media agency. Uh, and uh, a friend of mine, I was advising her on her startup, um, and uh, we both uh, share the same appointment at the World Economic Forum and became very close. And uh, this friend, Georgie Benardete, uh, tells me uh, that I'm asleep. She's like, you're asleep. Uh, you're just going through the motions of what you're doing. You're lacking the passion that I've seen you have in the past. Uh, and she actually, she said, I've sent you a couple of books. And one of them is a, uh, a book on unlocking creativity that takes you through uh, a course, basically, a, a self-directed process to become, to unlock your, your creativity. And part of that involves daily journaling. Uh, and I began a process that I still carry today on uh, many days. Uh, I'll begin my day by opening up and handwriting three pages in my journal. And what came out of that process, uh, after, after actually a lot of uh, emotional garbage finds its way to the service and onto the page, uh, came a whole collection of ideas that uh, that were, you know, about six ideas for six different, um, uh, startups that I could work on. And the one that kept bubbling to the top was tomorrow. Um, and honestly that was born out of, the, uh, you know, a, a, an observation I made, I'd hired all these fantastic 20 somethings in my agency. After we sell the company, a lot of them are getting married or having their first child. And, um, I found myself in a lot of conversations with them asking them, so, you know, do you have guardians, you know, set up? Do you have a will, you know? Uh, have you ever heard of term life insurance? It's very cheap. And I, you know, wanted everyone's kids to be okay. Um, and uh, and when, um, uh, when I realized that a lot of them hadn't done this, I looked at the data and it just blew me away. In the U.S., you know, only one in five, you know, uh, people under 45 actually have a will or have any kind of life insurance. And it just created a lot of economic instability that was completely unnecessary. Cool. Very cool. Um, and Dave, I mean, the, you, you talk a bit about kind of the, the process of, of uh, creation of ideas with, uh, with tomorrow. Has your creative process always been kind of similar to that? Um, I mean, have there been other times that you have been doing a lot of journaling? Because I mean, this isn't your this isn't your first creative endeavor. You've you've had a lot of other stuff going on um, over over the over time and over the years. How how has your creative process shifted and changed over time? Well, I, I believe. Uh, that each of us has inside of us uh, the ability to be inspired. Uh, and for me, how that comes is words, which are either things I hear, things I say, things I write, um, uh, or things that I read. Uh, and then I feel inside of me like, wow, this is important. You should really go deeper uh, or, or that resonates with me. And so I keep following and digging deeper into those things that have that resonance. And so I, I do a few things, you know, I, I write in journal, uh, I whiteboard um, my, uh, in fact, my team finds it funny because I'll, I'll, we have a 10 foot glass whiteboard and I'll put on headphones uh, and I start writing and moving all around the board and doing this. And they all thought that I was listening to classical music or maybe some yo-yo ma. Um, and it turns out that I'm listening to like eighties hardcore hip hop, uh, <laughs> that for whatever reason, like sit, like simplifies my brain waves and makes them hum. And that's where a lot of my ideas come is having a big broad whiteboard, and a lot of uh, old school rap uh, and the new ideas come. I look at it. I take a picture of what I've written and then I sit down and actually write what I've created. Um, uh, I, everyone finds that quite entertaining. 
Oh, that is that is brilliant, actually. How long did it take for you to arrive at the uh, the eighties hardcore hip hop? Did you try some other musical genres before that? Uh, I think all the ones that are usual and on the nose. Uh, but I think that uh, you know a lot of my ideas come. Uh, in the shower or when I'm driving, this is very common for people mm. when you're sort of detached a little bit from, from normal work and normal engagement. Uh, and often when I'm driving and sometimes I'm in the shower, uh, you know, I go back to, uh, uh, you know, uh, NWA, Snoop Dogg, Dre, and uh, for whatever reason, I made that association uh, and then I leaned into it and turns out uh, it actually works. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I'm just thinking when I was at university, uh, one of my friends used to study listening to uh, thrash metal. And I was just like, how do you, how yeah. can you concentrate with that? But no, he, he did all right, actually. He did all right. So I shouldn't, I shouldn't knock it. Um, w- one of the things that you, you talked about there about kind of the, the power of words, um, I think you, you described that really eloquently in terms of um, using words and kind of seeing how you how you feel and then sort of going deeper with that because I have a um, uh, I find that actually that's really beneficial for me as well that um, often I have a whole lot of things uh, or ideas fizzing around in my head um, that I just can't make sense of while they're, while they're just in there. So I need to actually either start writing, start getting things down, or start talking to people and start discussing ideas with them. And I think it's probably kind of frustrating for other people actually discussing their ideas with me at times because often they're not fully formed when I start. So I'm just kind of talking about something and they're asking me questions and I don't, I don't know and uh, I don't know the answer. But actually, after sitting down and talking to them for 20, 20 minutes, that becomes clear. So I need to, I need to kind of uh, strategize who I go and talk to that they're not going to get uh, too annoyed with me for kind of chatting around a subject for 20 minutes while I don't really know what I'm, what I'm talking about initially. I, I think that you're right, and I, I think that it's it's about finding that right partner. Uh, my the first person to join me at tomorrow, uh, he was working on his own startup. This is Eric, who's our head of product and my co-founder. Uh, he was working on a startup early stage. I was working on this concept. We said that we would help each other, and so we would take you know uh, an hour or two on his, an hour or two on mine, um, and then eventually he came over to join me. Uh, and, uh, we, uh, uh, but it's a play he, with him. I can be very safe with some like completely crazy concept, uh, and just share it with him and he'll listen and add and not criticize up front. Uh, but, but help me pull it apart. You know, another area where I think is really helpful is, you know, I, I do believe in forcing functions to help you solidify an idea. And one that I really like is speaking. Um, so uh, I have a, a friend who laughs at me because I'm literally willing to speak on anything. Um, I, uh, uh, I recently, uh, I, I was at Davos at the World Economic Forum, and I spoke on three different subjects uh, during that week at events that were going on during Davos. Uh, I spoke on, you know, startup life. That's very obvious. I spoke on the future of education. And I spoke at a really intense blockchain conference on uh, tokenizing contracts. And uh, I can tell you that I knew nothing. Uh, I'm not specifically qualified to speak on the future of education. I have a couple of unique things that I've done in that area. Um, But the person needed a good panelist. They said, oh, Dave's a good panelist. Let's just bring him in. Um, And for that, I literally wrote down the three innovations that I would like to see the three companies that I really am watching right now in that space and then just went deep uh, as a chance to get ready for, you know, a panel that's been now watched, you know, more than half a million times. Uh, And same with the blockchain concept. I had an early concept. that was a bit of a germ and I was going to have 20 minutes to speak on it uh, to a room full of experts. And it was a forcing function to actually go deeper and figure out what I actually meant uh, and, uh, and present it. And it was extremely well received. 
Mm, that's that's really interesting. So your process for kind of working up to that that uh, or going through that forcing function is that you kind of sitting down and brainstorming your ideas uh, to get more clarity on them, uh, and then kind of picking picking some out of that, and then actually going and taking it taking it further and taking it out to, in your case here. Uh, uh, sort of a bunch of experts um but kind of taking it out potentially to to some friends or to to some advisors to get feedback or to kind of solidify your your ideas uh yes i I, you know i i think uh, i want to love feedback Uh, it's always sometimes hard especially if something feels very important to you but isn't very well developed uh, to get feedback. I think also sometimes uh, the greatest ideas are difficult to articulate uh, uh, until you find that right way to express them. Uh, and I, uh, and so I think uh, if you're feeling tender about feedback, you need to find the right person or place. Uh, and, you know, sometimes that can be online. Sometimes that can be as simple as a place in social media. And sometimes just having the forcing function of, I'm going to write on, you know, I'm going to publish something on, you know, uh, on a blog, uh, a blog post, and I'm just going to do it. Uh, and set yourself a deadline can be enough to help you develop the idea further. Mm, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to work on deadlines at the moment with a few of the concepts that I'm working on, which is, yeah, extremely valuable in terms of kind of pushing, pushing forward with them. Um, and I really, I really like what you said there about learning to love feedback. It was something that I, I used to hate. Eh? Um, I just kind of saw that sort of any type of any type of feedback uh, was it would just get my defense systems up. I thought kind of it was a it was an attack personally on me. Whereas actually, no, it's it's not at all um, in terms of kind of reflecting badly on myself as a person um but actually it's an opportunity for me to learn and grow and, and shape uh shape myself uh more into the person that mm. I, I want to become and it's uh like it, it's taken me a long time to kind of have that shift and that switch do you like? So, do you- let, let me let me share with you what I've discovered of late, uh, very recently, right? Uh, which is, uh, you know, my company, my strategy for this year, my approach and prioritization. You know, it, it's all. You know, I have founders syndrome, right? I, my, me and my company, we are one, and I, I feel it very internally, and um, and sometimes it can be hard to find feed uh, to receive feedback. But I've had an advisor for the last year and a half whose name is Caribou Honeg, uh, who is an expert in the world of insurance technology, uh, a former you know, venture a partner. Uh, and he, he's been giving me great feedback. Uh, and so I just now recruited him on my board. And I spent two days with him outlining strategy. And he's like moving me through priorities. So I think and I can tell you that over this entire, you know, 18 months plus these deep days we've had around our first board meeting, he gave, gave me extreme feedback and cut this and don't do that. And, you know, and, you know, which is all his opinion and, and he shares that as his opinion. Um, and I can tell you that during all of that, I felt zero effect. So what I found is someone who is a trusted party who I really respect his opinion, who is not shy about giving feedback and whose feedback in no way offends me or makes me feel small. I just take it as a a great piece of advice and decide whether or not to take it. So I think it is about the relationship and and the person. And so if you can find a person like I have to give you that deep feedback um, in a way that makes you want more, uh, boy, that's, that's a gift. Mm, yeah, that is that is awesome. I mean, there are there are people like that, Dave, but there are also people that kind of offer feedback from almost kind of no apparent place of that. This is going to sound bad, but their feedback is almost kind of worthless 
that they haven't had this experience that you're going through the the kind of not really um they don't know you as a person they're not kind of super invested in in what it is that you're doing and I'm sure that you've had feedback like this from from people like that at at times worthless isn't uh, a really a nice way to put it but I couldn't think of a better word unfortunately how do you how do you kind of um take that feedback and then sort of uh, move move past it or put it to one side if you if you even do or if you just don't look at it in the first place? Well, I think that um, the most important thing you can do with any opinion that you're going to realize that you're going to receive is uh, understand context. So someone is going to say that something's a bad idea or that, you know, it's not well thought through or whatever their critique is or why it will never work. And then, you know, you have to realize like, okay, well, this is a person who works at a big corporate. This is a person who's risk averse. Uh, This is a person who uh, is an approver of uh, finalized ideas and not really a creative uh, person who's at the early stage of, of ideation. This person is a creative um, who doesn't understand you know, or, or is excited about the concept of something, but not the business process that you're innovating on. So they might look at your idea and say, well, that's ugly. Uh, how, what you presented to me visually is ugly, but they're saying that, which may be true, even though the business process innovation in the back is actually um, you know, innovative. So I think it's, it's good to, uh, you know, have empathy for the person who's giving you feedback, whether it's positive or negative. Uh, and, and I think that helps you uh, glean from that feedback, uh, you know, the part that you want to take away. Good. That was a much more polite and eloquent way of, uh, of wording that than I managed. Thank you for that. Um, Dave, next, next question for you, mate. Um, you, you talked before we started uh, recording that, like in the in the early stages of a startup, you're having to make some reasonably big bets on things, on kind of directions that you take and, and things that you do. What is your what's your process on deciding which which bets you make and which bets that you don't make? Uh, it's a good question. So um, you know, some of the bets that we made were pretty fundamental changes in how financial services are sold. So uh, the app is a free app that you download and you can get a legal will for free. Through that process, we learn about you and your family, and then we can recommend uh, financial products like life insurance and other products that you can easily buy inside the app. So the idea of giving away a very valuable piece of, uh, you know, this legal will uh, for free uh, and, uh, and, uh, and sort of with a small percentage of people converting to a, a paid product is, um, it was kind of a big bet. And to think that someone would want to do some, something legal and then they would want to do something financial, sort of hopping over, uh, over, you know, industry segments, um, was, you know, innovative is the positive way, uh, unlikely would be the negative way or ridiculous. Uh, and so, you know, we had to make, um, we were making sort of a large fundamental bet uh, as we spent hundreds of thousands of dollars developing a product that we simply give away for free. Um, but then we, uh, you know, we had to make bets on, prior, on priority, right? Which is, you know, what are we going to launch out of the gates? Uh, what are those products going to be? Who are our partners going to be? And in a lot of those, we were really cutting from, you know, from new cloth. Uh, we, uh, it was a very old regulated industry and we were doing something completely new. Um, we had to roll the dice with a couple of partners, uh, some of which are like small family owned businesses, uh, in the insurance space. Uh, some are technology partners that we, uh, that we brought in. Uh, and with each of those, you know, we had to basically study it out, turn over a lot of rocks, look at our options talk with our just talk internally with the small team and uh and then really feel like which one of these you know we have a couple of options which one do we really feel deep down uh which one resonates is the one that's going to uh deliver for us 
uh, and we would, whether it's prioritizing features or choosing partners, uh, we would feel through until we felt like, okay, we were, we were all on the same page. We believe this is what we should do. And then we'd move forward. Uh, and it may feel too touchy feely, but when we're juggling, you know, technology and user interface and new business models, there's too many pieces that have come together to just make a rational flow diagram that gets you to the answer. A lot of it has to do with uh, so many data points that only your gut or your inspiration can tell you what's right. Mm, I like that. I like that. And that's not the first time that you've mentioned feel. I mean, you, we talked about it a little bit with um, when we were talking about words and uh, and kind of what we're looking for there. Are you able to articulate, Dave, um, kind of what uh, a positive feeling that you're looking for feels like and maybe also kind of uh, contrast that to uh, a negative feeling? So the positive, the kind of the way that you're thinking, yeah, I want to go this way or a negative one, no, I want to steer away from that. And I appreciate that it's, it's, hard, it's a hard job describing feelings. Well, um, what I, I think, you know, it, uh, sort of to answer a different question of how I go about doing it is, is in the end, I bring something down to a yes or no question, right? Uh, so, you know, is this the right thing to do? Is this what we're supposed to do? Uh, and instead of like, you know, which one of these nine options is the right one? Uh, I think if you're going to feel a positive resonance for what you're doing, or the opposite of that feeling, it's good to have like one option, make it binary. So like, okay, I've thought it through, I've studied it out. These are, you know, and, and I really think that this one thing, that this is the partner that we should choose, or this is the one financial product we should offer at large. And, and then, you know, and you'll, you'll look at that and you'll, you know, hopefully feel that resonance. So it can be, you can, you know, some people feel that the hairs on their neck stand up or they feel like, you know, they can sort of touch their chest and say like, yes, that feels right. Or you'll see the opposite of that, which could be, you know, doubt or negativity, darkness towards the concept. And maybe something about that is wrong. And so you'll kind of step back and say like, okay, like, let's look at this again. Um, and so it really comes down to studying it out, coming to your own answer and then asking, you know, is this right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I understand that. And I mean, with the the positive ones for me, I mean, I I do get kind of uh, almost like a surge of energy with it and a surge of kind of uh, excitement that uh, just sort of lights me lights me up when I have a, a choice that I know, okay, yeah, this is this is it. Um, and I think like with the with what you were saying about the negative ones as well is that. There is, there's often that kind of doubt or um, worry around that. And I, I like what you said there in terms of feeling that and then actually taking a step back to, to have a look at that. Because I think like when we're, when we're pushing with something big, often it is, um, it is important to do a bit of analysis around it and to say, hey, actually, is that doubt um, or that, that fear, is that there because there's actually something wrong with this choice um, fundamentally that I don't want to get into? Or is that, that doubt and fear there because I'm just scared that if I take this choice, there's a lot of uncertainty around it, even though it might be the right choice for me? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I, I think it's always easy for, you know, if if whether it's, God or the universe or, or, or your, you know, or, or your own, you know, collection of your own being that's telling you to do something. It's easy to have doubt. Um, but, uh, I think that, you know, any exercise you can do to remove doubt, uh, and suspend disbelief for a moment, just so you can get your answer. Uh, and if, you know, and the answer may be no, and then that's okay. And then you can go back and keep working it. Um, but learning whatever it takes for you to suspend disbelief, uh, just for that moment, uh, is going to be important. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like the more you do that and the more you kind of go through that process, the better you get, I think at trusting that instinct that if you kind of feel that fear and feel that doubt and then you step back and have a look at it and 
actually the answer is a no, then that's actually good because that reinforces that actually, hey, this this is why I'm feeling that. Um, and you can kind of, you can hopefully make a, make a, a more effective decision next time around. Dave. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can tell you that in 2007, I was offered two jobs or two, two opportunities simultaneously. One was to create this uh, social network for readers called Shofari. Uh, and um, with some friends that created it and had a couple thousand users. Uh, and uh, I was also offered to be the, the chief marketing, marketing officer of Redfin, which is a real estate uh, tech company in the U.S. that just went public last year. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I thought about it, spent a lot of time on it, and it really just felt like the right thing for me to do was to, you know, take a tiny salary and join with a couple of people that had created this, you know, book club, if you will, uh, instead of being a CMO with, you know, at that point, 14 you know, people on my marketing team and uh, venture back, more prestigious. Um, and you know, what happened is 14 months later, we closed the deal, selling it to Amazon the day before Bear Stearns failed. And what happened at that point is real estate tanks and, uh, and Redfin rode through a very dark time where I'm sure I wouldn't have survived as a CMO. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to project what would have happened, but, you know, it certainly wasn't a point in early 2007 when I, I would have had any clue, uh, how well one thing could go and how poorly one other thing could go. And so it's experiences like that that caused me to, to trust. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, hindsight is a, is a wonderful thing when we're looking back at the decisions that we, we, uh, made. Uh, and yeah, they, they do kind of reinforce that, uh, how we should trust ourselves to actually take the thing that, uh, that excites us. Dave, I have a couple of questions just to finish off with mate. Um, the first one is what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it? You know, the, the thing that comes to mind for me is, uh, you know, we, uh, uh, we, we just closed, uh, you know, a multi-million dollar funding round. Um, we had a fairly small team of a dozen people. Uh, we were just getting ready to open up a bunch of new hires. Uh, and we made a really difficult decision to actually let three of our 12 people go, some of whom had been with us since just about the beginning. Uh, and, you know, we did it. Part of it was just changing the mix of the team. We were ready for a new phase. And part of it was to really focus on the culture of the team that we wanted to build going forward. Uh, and uh, it was very hard because really, you know, we all cared about each of these people. Uh, and uh, it was something that we actually dragged our feet around as a, as a leadership team on, you know, should we do this and what are we going to do about it? But it just became clear that it was the right thing to do. Uh, and so once that became clear uh, through hammering it out and hashing it out and making a plan, not just for what we do in terms of letting people go, but actually who we were going to hire beyond that, that we were able to move forward and to treat people with, uh, with dignity uh, and to, you know, be able to send them off in a way that was going to, you know, help them to, to land well. Uh, but, you know, I think anyone who, you know, hires and fires and uh, people knows that it's, it's an incredible stewardship and uh, there's a lot of discomfort because you're, you're affecting people's lives and livelihoods as you do it. Mm, mm. Dave, what is the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do and why is that uncomfortable for you? Well, you know, I, the, the next stage of what we're doing is building a much larger technology company than I've ever built in the past. So, uh, you know, I built a large uh, agency, which is a services business that had 70 employees. Uh, but in terms of building a large technology company, this is a very complex business, right? It's regulated by, we hold 205 licenses to sell our financial products. We're regulated by, uh, you know, the Securities and Exchange Commission, 51 insurance commissioners, and 51 attorneys general. Uh, it is a complicated place for us to be. It's very high stakes. It requires, you know, very inflective innovations. And so uh, for me, 
despite, you know, it looking like I've done this, you know, a bunch of times before, I still stand at the precipice uh, of something, not knowing exactly what's, uh, what's going to, this journey is going to be even over the, say the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, I have plans, but there's a lot that's going to happen. Uh, and I think, uh, for me, you know, there's, I actually feel quite comfortable because we've just finished our plan and, you know, so it's, we're not far enough down the road to realize that we've already deviated from that plan. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it will be, there's going to be a lot of discomfort as we move through that and grow from being, you know, a, a small company to be in the next, uh, the next stage. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, throughout your career, you've kind of got, well, throughout your life, actually, you've got progressively more and more uncomfortable, which I think is, it seems to have been really valuable for you to, to get to this point where you're ready to actually just take the take the next step with us and, and just grow this thing which is very cool i feel uh, like we're ready yeah yeah dave next question for you mate um do you have any other strategies that you use to approach uncomfortable situations you know i think that we talk through a lot of these you know writing whiteboarding suspending disbelief uh, speaking, uh, as, as a forcing function, uh, surrounding yourself with positive people. I think the last one is just deep learning. Uh, I think turning off your phone, turning off your notifications, picking up a book, uh, listening to, you know, you know, great podcasts that are not topical, uh, but that are just allow you to go deep and understand in a particular area uh, or a particular perspective, uh, is incredibly important. Um, you know, I, I try not to do email before 10 AM, uh, so I can dedicate my mornings, which start very early to a creative process and to being, you know, constructive, uh, and, and creating new things. Uh, if you begin your day with email, you're surrendering your priorities to whatever just arrived on, uh, most recently. Um, and so I think those two areas So basically shutting it off, learning, and then, uh, and creating, uh, in that atmosphere, which for me, first thing in the morning is the place to do that. Mm, yeah. I like that. And that's something that I'm working on as well at the moment is trying to yeah, stop the email and stop the notifications first thing in the morning. So I can, I can create and I can get into the day a little bit, a little bit better, Dave, if people want to find out more about you, find out more about tomorrow, um, check you guys out and support you, how can they do that? Where should they go to to uh, connect with you guys? So we've just cut out. Are you still? Are you back to being clear? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've got you. Can okay, you hear great. me? Uh, I can now. So I think that you were asking how we can. Yeah, how can people um, how can people support you? How pe- can people connect yeah. with you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, to connect with me, um, you know, you you can Google me and find the the platform that you like. I'm Dave Hanley on pretty much every social platform. Um, uh, you know, to see more of what we're doing at tomorrow, you can go to tomorrow.me uh, and learn uh, about what we're doing. If you're in the U.S., you can download the app and use it and, and see what we're, uh, what we're about. Um, you know, one day, hopefully, we'll be coming to uh, whatever part of the world that you're in um, uh, and uh, so that you can use the product there. But uh, we're um, you know, very excited about what we've built. So I'd love to hear your feedback and see how we can uh, do it better. Mm, very cool. Dave, I have one more quick question for you before we finish up, but I just want to say thank you again so much for, for taking the time to sit down and have a chat with me today. Uh, it's been it's been awesome to pick your brain and learn a whole lot of stuff, um, but I also want to say thank you as well for um, just being a real example of kind of continually pushing yourself to to get uncomfortable with, with all of the things that you've been doing and uh, and just being kind of a shining light and sort of trusting yourself and uh, taking the exciting, curious option rather than the, the safe one all the time. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for uh, that kind of accolade. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, 
uh, across the globe would prefer it uh, if uh, if we took safer, more predictable routes. But I uh, I'm the son of a fighter pilot uh, and jazz musician, and uh, we uh, you know I was just taught that you have to love what you do, um, and that's caused me to. Uh, make a lot of uncomfortable choices yeah mate uh, you had absolutely no chance of taking the safe option then did you (laughs) um final question for you dave is do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week uh you know i through this uh pod you know the time we've had to talk together uh you know i've actually talked about you know making decisions and finding that resonance. And so I think the challenge I would have is, you know, take a complicated decision in your life um, or something that you've really pondered about. Take some time, really study it out, ponder it, and come to a conclusion about what the right thing is to do. And then look for that resonance, which could be in meditation. It could be in prayer. It could be in thought. It could be in taking a walk and see if you can't get to a yes or a no um, everything from, you know, your romantic life to your next job to, uh, a decision that you're making, uh, and, uh, you know, see if that actually works. Um, I try and do it on a very regular basis in my life. And I think if, if you, if, uh, if you can do it in yours, uh, it's going to bring you a lot of clarity, a lot of joy. That is a great challenge. I think Dave Hanley, thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. Thank you for having me. This is great. I feel very uncomfortable. (laughs) Well, there you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed that show today. Uh, Dave is an awesome character, and I I learned a whole lot from him. So make sure if you enjoyed this one, hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you get the next episodes coming out to you uh, every Friday and Tuesday. Also, make sure if you've listened for a while, you're liking what you hear, that you leave a review on your favorite podcast app as well. And if you want those five strategies to help you get out of your comfort zone, head over to getoutofmycomfortzone.com and you can download them for free from there. Thank you, as always, to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music for the podcast. And thank you guys, as always for getting uncomfortable with Dave and I today.